because I want you to see something. Uh, go to, we're going to spend time in the book of Mark, so if you're still one of the people that carry a Bible, you can go to Mark and leave it there for a little bit. Mark chapter 1, verse 32, and at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils. But then it says, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Well, that's interesting. Let's jump down to verse 40 of Mark 1. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down, saying, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him, and saith, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately leprosy departed from him. He was cleansed, and he straightly charged him forthwith, sent him away. And, and, he, and here's what he said. See thou, see thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest, and offer thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Now jump down to Mark 3, 11 and 12. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and said, you are the son of God. Verse 12 says, he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Mark 5, verse 38, and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and, they, and, and them that wept and, and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make the do and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him. And he entered to where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand and said, Talitha kumai, which is being inter interpreted damsel, I say unto thee. Arise. Straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of, of age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. Verse 43. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. See a pattern here, don't you? I want you to see this, though. Mark 7, 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment of speech, and they beseech it to him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking upon to heaven, he sighed and saith, Ephrata, however you say that, I don't speak Aramaic, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them that no one, that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much more a great deal they published it. Lastly, Mark 8, 29, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. What in the world is up with this? We have the demons being cast out. Don't tell anyone. The deaf and the mute, hey, they can hear, they can speak. Don't tell anyone. Disciples, who am I? Oh, you're the Christ. Don't tell anybody. The dead being raised, don't tell anybody. What is up with this? Tonight I don't want to speak. I want to look at this. The secret of the Messiah. The secret of the Messiah. Lord, help us to have an understanding as we look at your word tonight. 
I believe this is a life principle, things that we can glean from these passages and why you might have said that, Lord Jesus. We want to dive in. We want to, Lord God, see some things tonight. Enlighten us with the power of the Holy Spirit and your name, Jesus' name. Amen. So these are just some passages just from Mark. I could have read more in Mark. I could have read from other Gospels, but we just kind of focused on Mark, a few of them. And he does these amazing, wonderful things. But why does Jesus keep saying, don't say anything, don't tell anybody? Why would these things be kept a secret if something happened here where the deaf eyes, the deaf ears were open and, 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 the, and the lame could walk and the dead were raised? We'd be like, call Fox News, CNN, get him in here. Maybe not CNN, they might twist it, but. It seems strange that Jesus would want to keep those things, healings and his identity a secret. Now, the Bible says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So I'll give you this disclaimer. I'm not standing here saying, and this is why. The Bible doesn't come out and say, let me tell you the reason why I said all these things. So we don't know. But we're going to look at some other scriptures because... There's principles found as to, that will shed some light as to why he might have said that. First, we have to begin by looking at the historical and societal context of that day. Roman authorities would have responded to an extremely popular preacher who proclaimed the arrival of a kingdom. You have your kingdom set up. You've conquered these people. They're enslaved to you. You show up and talk about any other kingdom. Kingdom is like a buzzword for problems. Send extra soldiers to that area. He performed miracles, healed people, gathered large crowds, doing miraculous things and talking about a kingdom. Let's, that right there is recipe for keep an eye on that group. We're not really excited. That's quite the threat. Roman authorities would not tolerate such a situation, and they would have immediately sought to suppress a movement like this. But God's timing, God's timing is everything. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament talks about a time for everything, dying, being born, love, all these things. Let's look at it. 3.1, it says, to everything there's a season, a time and purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up, time uh, that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to, to, to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. I do better with the speaking, by the way. A time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. You know, there, so there's times for all of these different things. Things that you could argue, no, that's great. That's always great. Well, he says there's time and seasons for things. My wife and I often laugh because we talk about had we met each other in high school, we wouldn't be married. Like we were really different people. Okay, like if you would have asked my wife when she was younger if she would marry someone who didn't Bible quiz, like never. I never Bible quizzed. I go on these trips and like Michelle and my wife, they, they, like, they laughed at me for a while there, like how much I didn't know. All I was just sitting there. I, my main job was smile and cheer on the kids, jump up and down and make them laugh. Now my daughter says that's embarrassing. So now I have to find a different approach. We had different mindsets, different priorities. Now, I still would have thought she was gorgeous, but we just wouldn't have 
probably connected in a relationship. We are very different people, but we see God's timing is beautiful. In Genesis 18, 14, God promises Sarah, hey, you're going to get pregnant at an appointed time. Abraham says, uh, it's not, Sarah says, it's, it's not working. Abraham says, fine. They said the time wasn't good for us, so they took matters in their own hands. And thousands of years later, we're still having issues in the Middle East. In Matthew 26, 18, shortly before his death, Jesus talks about his appointed time being near. Whether you look at the Old Testament or the New Testament, you'll find timing is a key concept throughout both Testaments. And it's a key concept here in the 21st century. It's key to God's plan, key to the ministry of Jesus. It's, it's still our key here today. So look what Jesus says to his disciples when he's, he's getting ready, he's preparing them. He's getting ready to leave them in body, bodily form, getting ready to die on the cross. And Ma- Matthew 10, 16, he says, I'm going to send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. They needed to be wise. There needed to be a plan. He didn't just emphasize boldness. Just go be bold. Go change the world. Go take this gospel out. We need to get it out as quick as possible. He looks at him and says, be wise. Be wise. Because there has to be a plan here. You have to be wise as with, with this mission. So at this time in history, there was no room for any other king or kingdom or rescuer. This was, uh, this, this was one of the primary concerns of the insecure Roman leaders of that time. The very first question, Governor Pontius Pilate, Matthew 27, what's the first question he asks Jesus? Are you the king of the Jews? That's the main concern. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't care about some, some guy that's a great preacher that could, that could gather crowds. He's just like, hey, are you the king of the Jews? <clears throat> Why? <clears throat> because that's what, that's what our concern is. We got our own kingdom here. They're under, you're under Roman rule. Are you a king? That's what I know. They wouldn't tolerate uprisings. Everyone was supposed to be loyal to Caesar and Rome and that alone. That's why they even try and trick Jesus. Hey, who are we supposed to be paying money to? He looks at him and says, render under God's what God's, render under Caesar's what Caesar's. He was wise. Jesus knew this, though, and so he being wise, he told him to keep silence about some of these things. Of course, later he would say, I'm giving you the power to be witnesses, to go reach the world. Why? Because there's a time and season for everything under heaven. But in the preparation phase... We can't fathom that, but he was saying, keep silent, it's not the time yet. Well, because a couple of reasons. Number one, he wanted to train and instill himself and disciple them some more, prepare them. But also, Acts 1 rolls around and it says, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Ghost to be what? Witnesses. So in order to really accomplish God's will for our lives as people who make disciples, He's calling us to be filled with his spirit for that purpose. That's one of the many purposes. So it wasn't time yet. And so this probably was one of the most difficult things for the disciples. Think about it. Knowing we are called by God. Jesus Christ has called us. But then embracing the preparation phase where you just need to keep your mouth shut. Until it's time for public ministry and God's plan to come to fruition. I mean, that's like, you know, you being a kid and you're like, I'll never forget. Was it 
Who was it that walked in? Was it Jude that walked in? He said, we got you slippers, Mom. Is that Jude, I think? So I took my kids to get Jackie a Christmas gift, and so I let them each pick out one thing, and I said, now don't tell Mommy we're going to get, this is her Christmas gift, we're going to go home and wrap it, so we're going to sneak in the house, literally, literally walk in the door, and Jude's like, we got you slippers, Mom! Like, do you just want them now? I mean, you know? And that's always fun, too. You, you, you ever, we merged families, right? You know? And, and you, you, when, you, when you merge two lives together, like, your upbringings were different, and you, like, different temperatures in the house, and you fold towels different. That's a whole other story. And, like, you know, one family does surprises for Christmas, and the other family picks out their Christmas gifts. Like, I'm not going to tell you which one's which, but our, we had to find this balance here between us, because I was like, what? So, this is all, so I, I, I'll just tell you, I'll go ahead and tell you, I like the surprise. So, Jude comes in, I'm like, come on, Jude, what are you doing, man? We got you slippers. But that's how it is. I mean, they're like, we got this great thing. We're called. We're following Jesus. Life is grand. But you need to just shh for a while. You're like, what? That's tough. Let that be a lesson to all of us. God has called some of us to do great things, accomplish mighty things. But there first needs to be a, a, a preparation phase where we are sitting and learning, and maybe not doing everything that we think we're capable of doing. Don't despise the preparation season. Think about it. Both the field and the sower have to be ready before the seed can be planted and faith can be uh, birthed. Timing and preparation are everything. It's possible that in these passages we also see an example from our master on how to approach ministry. It's sad when we occasionally see someone who desires ministry for power or popularity and they forget that ministry is compassion and servanthood. Jesus didn't come looking for notoriety or to have his name in lights and it certainly could have been there. They wanted to force him to be their king at one time. Scripture tells us, though, he says, he came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come for those who are well, but those who are sick and in need of a physician. In a day of social media where preachers and evangelists post things on a regular basis that say, I preached here. Look at all the miracles that took place. This many people received the Holy Ghost. This many people were baptized. And we say, I'm just sharing this to give glory to God. But are we? But are we? Now, we're the only ones who can answer that. We, but we must not ignore the question. So if I go preach somewhere and 17 people get the Holy Ghost, I'm like, whoa, I preached here and 17 people got the Holy Ghost. Am I really posting that to say, God is awesome and I just want to rejoice? Or am I posting that because I'm pretty proud about what God did through my ministry? We're the only ones that can answer that question. So we must always be willing to examine our heart. The heart is where everything flows from. 
The heart is where worship flows from. The heart is where the way we dress or act or carry ourselves, that's where that flows from. The way that we rejoice and share news about what God's done, that's, it flows from what's here. So we must always be willing to examine what is inside. What is, what is flowing from my heart? Because with Jesus, we don't read about how he wanted everyone to know what he did. Others shared it, and others talked about it, but he didn't get out and broadcast his own results. He didn't go to the next place and be like, hey, y'all got a place for me to stay? Because if, if you haven't heard, I healed like 77 people in the last village. Oh, yes, yes, we know. Peter already posted it on social media. Oh, I, I just, I, I'm here. I don't know if you've heard about me, but I've been doing great things everywhere I've been going. We don't read about this. We don't hear about this. Maybe this is why the book of wisdom in Proverbs 27, 2 says, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. That's a pretty good idea right there. But sometimes we really want people to know what we did, I mean, what God did. Instead, we read about a man who loved people so much that he was moved by compassion and he sought out those who were sick and lost and they sought him out and, and, and the miraculous things that he did to change their lives. But then he'd say, don't say anything. He wasn't in it for the recognition of power or the fame of local society. The greatest and most anointed ministers never are. They don't care who gets the glory, and they don't care who gets the honor. But all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So if you sit there and say, well, that would never be me. I don't care who gets the glory. There's probably an element that you want that to be true, but always know that in every one of us is a human being that is wanting somebody to recognize your gifting, your anointing, your power, your wisdom, your personality, your looks. There's something in us that, that pride I don't care if you're the most quiet person, the loudmouth person. There's something in every single one of us. It's pride. It's pride. But Mark records several of Jesus' parables. Well, it was wise for Jesus to teach in parables so he could train his followers without creating an uprising in governmental authorities. Look at Mark 4, uh, verse 10. It says, later when Jesus was alone with his 12 disciples, with the others who were gathered around, they asked him, what, what do the parables mean? They're talking in these riddles. And he replies, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders. Again, it was an understanding of the society, the, 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 the historical context of that day. And so he t intentionally spoke like that. And then when they had questions, he could break it down to his true followers at a later time. See, Jesus was intending to give his life as a ransom for many, not to lead a rebellion against Rome. And that's what Rome, to the point that they, they took him to, to, to Pilate. This man is no friend of Rome. He's no friend of Caesar's. That, that's the angle they took because they were wise enough to know. They don't care about our preachers. They don't care about people doing these things or gathering crowds. But if we go at the approach, even though Pilate said, There's no, I find no fault with this man. But he was, he, was, he was forced to act because the approach was, 
He's a king trying to set up a kingdom, and he's going against Roman Caesar. And in a politically charged time, if you don't do something, you're no friend of Caesar. So now, whoa, my, my, my political clout, my, my, my title, my career is on the line now. But it was all based on the fact of the king, the kingdom. And so, so you look at this, and Jesus wasn't looking to do that. That's why he said it. Well, what did it say? He says, you said right. I mean, he, he just was like, whatever, yeah, I'm not going to deny being a king, but I'm not here to emphasize that. My kingdom is not of this earth. But there's similarities back then to today. When we really want God to be something or to do something in our lives, we often try to force him into what we are wanting him to be. Be careful when you say, God told me. God spoke to me. I think God should speak to us, and I think he does speak to us. But what we have to be careful is, was that really God, or was it something you were wanting really bad, and so you've actually tried to talk yourself into the fact that it was God? I saw a social media post this past week that said something powerful. It said, once your mind is made up, once your mind is made up, everything becomes confirmation. Let that sink in, because that's pretty powerful. Once your mind is made up, everything becomes confirmation. There's times people come up and say, I just felt like God spoke this, and I have to be kind. Because I want to go, what did you just, I mean, really? Are you serious right now? God's never going to speak something that contradicts his word. But sometimes we, even when we know better, we will try to embrace that God spoke this because we want it so bad in our heart. So we will start to look and listen to messages and listen to songs that we could grab lines and say, see, God was speaking to me the other day. I was listening to this secular music, which that's a problem in itself. Like if God wants to speak, he's probably not going to do it through, I'm trying to think of what the big name singers are, Taylor Swift or something. God's not going to do that. And so, if God's going to speak, he's going to do according to his word, but we'll start to grab a line of this, grab a line of that, grab a line of this, and we'll start to put this together and go, I really feel like God's dealing with me. No, 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 you just have something you really want in your life, and you're grabbing little snippets from all the different pieces of life trying to say that you're putting this thing together. And God, I just wonder how, I wonder how often God is like, man, looks at the angels and just says, they keep pulling me into all this stuff. When we see Jesus cleanse the leper, he requires that the man to, to be obedient to the law of the land. He sends that man. He says, listen, don't say anything. Go to the temple. You need to show yourself to the priest. Why? Because that was the law of that day. And there was a legal requirement for lepers to do that in order to come back into society. So even though Jesus had ultimate authority over everything and everyone, he still submitted to the human delegated authority as a citizen of that society. And we should be doing the same. The Apostle Paul instructs the Roman church to do the same. When you look at Romans 13.1, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Well, not that person, not that person, not that person. It says all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. 
So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right. I like this verse, especially, and I understand that, oh man, I'm getting on thin ice now. I understand that there are people in every profession that there's a group of them that aren't good people. One pastor messes up, it kind of gives all pastors. One church does this, it gives all churches a bad name. One police officer does this, it kind of gives all. Just be careful. I read something once where somebody posted something comparing a police officer with a firefighter and they were bashing police officers, which really ticks me off. I appreciate law enforcement. And they were saying about, well, there's no difference between this and that. I was like, yeah, of course. Of course you, you, of course you don't see people fearing firefighters. Firefighters don't bring correction. I appreciate firefighters too. But to compare that to a police officer, a police officer is bringing correction. So, the, the, yeah, there's going to be times where there's going to be some things that they have to step into. But look, it says, authorities don't strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Hey, one of the best ways to get along with first responders is just to do what they say. Works well. Again, am I saying that every single person is perfect? No, not every pastor is perfect. Not every police officer is perfect. But I believe we have scripture to align our lives with delegated authority in our land. Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. Man, this is good stuff right here. This is like, Still makes sense in the 21st century. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only avoid punishment, but also keep a clear conscience. So you see, another thing to consider is it doesn't really seem like Jesus wanted people focusing on just the miracles he performed. He wanted them focused on the message, not just the miracles. The same rings true today. God would rather that we focus on the message of hope and salvation than just what can he do to make me feel better in my situation today. Perhaps Jesus asked them to keep miracles under wraps because as evidenced so clearly in our politics and media coverage today, people tend to get blinded by the sensational rather than focusing on the substance Jesus' spectacular healing made him immensely popular with the masses. He could use that popularity to gain influence, power, advance his agenda. His, he, could, he could take over the whole world and ushered in the, lo the long-awaited peace and goodwill. I mean, but Jesus did not come into the world to amass power. He already possessed all the power. So he wasn't here searching for something from humankind where they could elevate him to a position of popularity and power because he already had that. He didn't need that. He was here on a mission. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to heal those who are sick and brokenhearted. He, that, he, he had a very specific thing he was looking to do, and it was not get voted in as student body president. 
There was also practical reasons why Jesus was concerned about people focusing too much on his healing skills. It made it all but impossible for him to do his job. He was mobbed by people. You read stories in the gospel, people mobbed him. Then he goes out in a boat. I was just reading in the Bible about how literally he goes out in a boat and boats started surrounding his boat. I don't know if you've ever picked that up. Like, imagine being like, I need to get off to a place by myself. I need to disconnect from the crowd. And then the boats will surround your boat. Like, what? And so it was made impossible. He was viewed as a one-man free clinic, open 24-7, first come, first serve. The demands on his time and energy were growing impossible. Jesus would be too exhausted with healing to have much of a chance proclaiming anything about good news. Yet when confronted with the need, his compassion would take over, and he acted in love without regard to the long-term consequences. The result was that people crowded around him day and night. They even cut a hole in a roof to get in to see him. Jesus had to go to the mountain, crisscross the Sea of Galilee, just get a moment alone. The dilemma that Jesus faced was captured in a nutshell in an incident later in Mark 1 who knelt before, the leopard knelt before Jesus and he says, if you, if you can, if you choose, you can make me clean. Well, yeah, that was true. The question is, was Jesus, what would he choose to do at that moment? The healing of the leper would be front page news, you know? I mean, if you can choose to heal me, you can do it. I know you're capable of it. And he looks, and it's like, oh, man, okay, what do I do right now? If I heal him, I know this is going to be all over the news. This is just going to keep growing. And he had a mission, and he's trying to get people ready. He knows he's there to pay a price on the cross. But they're saying, be our king. Be Hosanna. Glory to God. Come and, be our, come and rescue us from Roman, uh, uh, Roman rule and oppression. But he's saying, my kingdom isn't of this earth, but yet I'm moved with compassion. That's why he wasn't looking around going, and a spiritual gift was moving, and boom, and he did this, and boom, and he did that. And then all of a sudden he was elevated, and he posted it on Facebook to let everyone know. No, every time you read it, it says he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. He looked on her, and he was moved with compassion. He looked on him, and he was moved with compassion. Everywhere he was, was, was working and operating, he would look at someone, and he would be moved with compassion. I think if that's one thing that I could pray for all of us, you could pray for yourself, I could pray for myself, is when we begin to go out into this community, not just looking to say, that's right, pastor told me to invite two people to church this week. Oh, we really need to get our pews filled. Oh, I can't wait because we're in a building program, and we really want more people so we can get in a new building. It's not about any of that. It's about stopping, slowing down, and looking at someone and going, and, and I looked at her, and I was moved with compassion. And I looked at him, and I looked at the child, and I was moved with compassion. If we've lost that somewhere along the line, we've got to find an altar tonight before we leave so that when we look at the lives of those around us, we are still moved with compassion. And Jesus looks and he says, I choose, be made clean. And all Jesus can do at this point is try to contain the problems that this is going to create for him in his earthly ministry. And so he sternly tells the leper, don't tell anybody about this. You're not to tell anyone. We can imagine the leper made a few half-hearted attempts to keep his promise. Hey, man, where are you going into the city? Yep, I just got, well, uh, 
I mean, imagine being a leper and you can't even, you have to live in a leper's colony and somebody comes around and you, unclean, unclean, unclean. And everybody sees you and runs the other way and, and doesn't want to be around you. They don't want to get their kids near you. They don't even want to converse with you. They don't want to get close to you. And all of a sudden now you're like, oh my goodness, I get to return to society. And so he was bursting with joy and thanksgiving. He wanted to tell everybody, and pretty soon he's trumpeting it all around town. Everybody's hearing about it. The result are more trips to the mountains to get away for Jesus. More sailing back and forth to the Sea of Galilee with boats on each side of you as you're like, guys, I'm just trying to get a nap. Hey, is the master in there? Could you imagine what it's like? You can't even get away. I mean, I love you guys, but y'all start knocking on the windows of my house. I'm going to be like... You need to go home. Part of the reason, and I make the joke, but seriously, part of the reason I'm taking my family on a vacation, and I'm, my goodness, I'm not Jesus. But it's because we all need to get away sometimes. We all need to replenish, renew, restore. Jesus loved all the people to whom he ministered, but he made it a point to take breaks even from the people he was called to minister to. It's important for all of us. Last Sunday I preached start pouring, but none of us can pour from an empty vessel. And when you start trying to pour from an empty vessel, that's where you burn out. So we have to find ways to replenish and restore what has been poured out. For Jesus, crowds continued to press and continued to follow him. Crowds followed him in desert, deserted hills and not even bothering to pack food. Like, let's go follow this guy. Come on, come on, come on. Well, what time does service start? I don't know. Well, when's he speaking? I'm not sure. It's all day. Well, let's just go. And you get there and they're like, man, I'm starving. Well, it's time to eat. Well, we don't have any food. The little, do the little boy over there, his parents were the only ones with brains, sent him with five loaves and two fish. Everyone else, you can wonder, what in the world is wrong with these people? And thank God we're not Jesus, because we'd be like, are you guys foolish? What in the world? Go to McDonald's. You guys lost your mind. Jesus, oh, man, this is going to be all over front page news. But he looked on the crowd, and he was moved with compassion. You know, he's God manifest in flesh. You know, like, yeah, he's just looking at it like, oh, these big dumb animals. Oh, I can't believe it. But I love them, and I created them. Give me the five loaves and two fish. Watch what I can do. But it wasn't about watch what I can do. It was about I love these people so much. I don't want to see them hungry. I don't want to see them blind. I don't want to see them dying. I don't want to see him in pain. And so every time I look at their situation, something moves in me. And I want to do something for them. That should be the heart of ministry. For me, you, and all of us. As we look at people going, now, I want to develop my ministry. What's the next phase of my ministry? I'd really like to take my ministry to the next level. I hate the terminology, my ministry. Hate it, despise it. Go listen back through sermons in the last 10 years. I, I would guarantee you that you can count on one hand if I slipped and said my ministry. Because this is God's thing. 
And if he chooses to use me in any way, I, I just want to be a servant. And I pray that i got to examine myself because we all have pride. But we always want to stop. And anything we do, we do it because I'm moved with compassion. Because I'm moved with compassion. It's not about making a name. It's not about getting a following. It's not about gaining power. It's moved with compassion. The people didn't bring food. Well, that's their own fault. Yeah, right. You're probably right. But bring me the loaves and fish. Is it going to hinder what the plan is? Yeah, but I love these people so much. I want to see them hungry. Man, five loaves, two fish, 12 baskets left over, feeding 10,000 plus people. Okay, that's going to be front page news. Yeah, I understand. I understand. I don't imagine Jesus really expected the leper or others who were healed not to tell anyone. I was asking a lot. He's at the end of the day. Jesus was far too great to be kept a secret. He was literally a once in a lifetime savior, teacher, rabbi, leader, speaker, miracle worker. And so we look at all these things. What could they have been? I think it's a little bit of all of it. I think he was giving a lesson to ministers. I think he was keeping the focus on compassion and not power. I think it's understanding the historical context and knowing there's a time and a season for everything. And the disciples needed a preparation phase. And he needed to, to do some things before it became public knowledge. That he, that he wasn't looking to get a kingdom on this earth. I think there was, it was all of these things why he kept repeating this. But as I close this message up, his greatness at the end of the day, his greatness could never be hidden. And to this day, it should still never be hidden. God should be, think about this, and this is the last couple things I'm saying, just stay with me. God should be so incredibly amazing in our lives. God should be so mind-blowingly amazing in your life that we literally cannot keep ourselves from telling everyone about him. That when we're moved with compassion, when all of these things are combined, and we're moved with compassion, but we've had our own experiences with Jesus, like the leper, like the 12-year-old that gets raised from the dead, like the mute deaf person, like these people that just couldn't keep their mouths shut, it was because they had such a life-changing, supernatural experience with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world, that when they came in contact with other people, there's no way that they could sit on that and not say something. I pray to God Almighty that in 2019 in Liberty, Missouri and beyond, that there are still a group of people who have had such a mind-blowingly incredible experience with 
like the savior of this world, that they just go to people that they work with and live next to and, and family members that they're like, hey, I know that you don't want to hear it. I know you're not a fan of religion, but let me just tell you about what Jesus did for my life. Here's what my life used to look like. Here's what my life is now. That is only because I came in contact with a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Could it be that this was a test for the one being healed? I'm just throwing this out there as we close up. Could it be that when he said that, it was even a test, and that wouldn't be beyond Jesus? He tests people from the old to the new, all through Scripture. Is it possible that Jesus wanted to see if someone really could keep quiet about something amazing he did for them? Don't tell anyone. I want to see. If that's the case, if Jesus did ever give me that test, I pray that I fail every single time. I pray that if he says, you need to keep quiet, don't tell anybody what I did. I pray that I fail that test every single time because I'm so excited about what he's done for me, for my parents, for my children, for my family, for the church I'm a part of, for the people that I worship with, the people that have come and sit on these pews and serve alongside me in ministry. I'm pumped not just for the Dornbach family. I'm pumped when I get to go to men's conference and hang out with Andrew Cannon and he starts to tell me stories about his previous life and he says, but God, but God, but God, but God. I'm so pumped about that that when I go to conferences, I don't just talk about the Dornbox. I start to talk about, man, I'll tell you a time when, oh, when Kirby and Alice walked into the church. We got a guy in our church now. His name is Andrew. Let me tell you about Andrew. I'll tell you a time about when we had a prayer meeting and David Huey was over here. I start to rejoice about what God has done in so many lives that I can't keep quiet. I got to tell everybody about it. Sometimes I just start talking to people about what's going on in our church. Not because, uh, you know, we got to guard ourselves, but not because we're elevating ourselves or anything like that, but because we are so stinking excited about what God is doing, what he has done, what he's getting ready to do. Why don't you stand to your feet? I, I got a question for you, and I don't mean it mean, I don't mean it rude, but think about this. Have we walked this way so long that the excitement has worn off? Have we gotten so accustomed to Wednesday nights being a certain way that, 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 that we just like, oh yeah, cool, this is interesting. Now, I, we got to ask ourselves, again, it's the heart. We can only examine our heart. If you were asked to keep Jesus a secret, would you be able to do it? If you had to leave this place, don't ever talk about him. Just don't say anything. Not everybody needs to know this. Just, be, just keep it under wraps. There should be something in us that is going, there's no way. There's no way. I don't even think I can make it through tomorrow without telling someone. I guarantee you that that, that, that leper, <laughs> that dude probably got 20 feet from Jesus. And he was like, hey. Okay, bro, so I'm not supposed to say anything. 
Just don't tell anybody because I was supposed to. But check this out. Don't you remember seeing me last week? Look it. That man right there. I got in his presence and he, he totally healed me. He didn't just change my life now. He changed my future. Do you know what it looks like for me as a leper? I don't got to go back to the cave. I don't got to go back to the old way of living. He set me free from that. I don't have to say, unclean, unclean. I get a whole new life because of what I just got from that man over there. I am so pumped. I'm not even supposed to be talking to you about this. And I'm just wondering if Jesus is looking going, okay, I'm telling you, I need to find more like that man that he can't even keep it quiet. And so now we fast forward to the 21st century and I look at us and I say, where are we at? Are we still the people that are saying, oh, you know what? Have we walked this way so long that we forgot? Have we forgot our testimony? If we forgot what he's delivered us from, we can't forget. That's why in the Old Testament he said, build memorials, put the stone on top of the stone, not so they'd be stuck in the past, but so that every time they'd be traveling, a little child would say, hey, why are there 12 stones right there? Oh, let me tell you a story about what Jesus did for us when we came to the Jordan River. Here's what God did. Here's how he set us free. He drew us out of our past and he called us into a future. There needs to be some memorials in our life. Maybe you need to set something on the fireplace mantle that the kids will occasionally say, mommy, what happened there? Dad, what happened there? And we can say, I used to live a certain way. I was in caves of despair. I was looking hopeless. But when I had an interaction with Jesus, he, he changed not only my life, but he changed your life, honey. Your future's different, bud. And so God did this for us. And so tonight, I just think that when, if God, if you're sitting there going, okay, we don't know for a fact why did he say these things. But if it's a test, if it's some along those lines, I pray to God that there's a handful of people at Refuge Church that are going to fail every time because we're going to sit here and say, I can't even get through tomorrow. I can't even go through tomorrow with talk, talking to someone. I got to tell someone about the interaction that I've had with Jesus. I got to tell somebody about how he called me out of the cave and he set me free. He healed me. He delivered me and he gave me a whole new future. Oh, if that's you and there's something in you, I pray just come and find a place to pray. There should be something in us that's excited tonight. There should be something in us that says, God, I don't ever want to keep you quiet. I want to tell everybody I know about you, Jesus. Jesus.